Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. We got Brian with us today. And of course, don't forget to like and subscribe. And what you know what we do here? We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo. Today we have um, an episode that's not so awesome. Uh, I just not going to be honest. I'm not happy about this episode in the slightest. So many guys might know we've had uh, a relationship with Eric Skorzynski at Preacher Boys podcast. And what his podcast has done is it has exposed abuse in the IFB churches in particular, but IFB churches and churches abroad talking about spiritual and sexual abuse within the church. And it was really great because he exposed these things and kind of had people on the run. I haven't always agreed with how he's uh, done some of those things. You and I have talked about that privately yeah. more. But I, overall, I thought what he was doing was necessary, and I we've always supported him. I've been on his channel before, and he's been on here before, and we have endorsed him in multiple times in the past. But recently, he has chosen to resign the faith. And one of the things that we get accused of sometimes at the church split is that those who are part of the RFP network, we don't hold accountable, or those who just agree with us or are in our camp and against the IFB or whatever, we're too easy on and we don't hold accountable. I actually do not believe this is true because I have multiple times texted RFP people uh, going, I don't think that was the best way to handle that. Uh, but they probably would say the same thing about me. But that's okay. They have sometimes. sometimes. Actually, they have. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That is true. But one of the things is is we have done an episode. Whenever someone large that is well-known has resigned the faith, we have always done so-and-so resigning the faith episodes. And we always responded directly to them. And we, we talked about their objections. We talked about these various different things. And we didn't pull any punches back then. And to be consistent, this is our sandbox, right? This is our soapbox, really, which is we deal with issues that split churches. And the reason why we deal with issues that split churches is because we understand the devastating power that it can have in a church. Mm -hmm. So sometimes this deals with doctrinal issues. Sometimes this deals with tertiary issues. Um, even in the uh, RFP network, I think we, they would consider us doctrinally more broadly welcoming than they are. Uh, I was recently told that there was one person that tweeted something, not, and they're like, this sounds like heresy. I'm like, actually, it's not heresy. It's idol killer. Uh, and I was like, I don't think it's heresy. They're like, you're probably the only one in this group that would actually argue that. I'm like, you're <laughs> probably right. So point is here is that we get it. Sometimes we, uh, we stand alone, but also we are very accepting. Uh, and we're very broad in our theology as long as you're orthodox, primarily in the fundamentals. The point here, though, is that we would be uh, remiss if we do not say something here. Yeah. Yeah, I think and this is not something we were looking forward to do this week. I, honestly, I didn't want to. Um, and I hope that comes across as we record this, that this isn't something we want to do, but this is something we feel like we have to do. And I, I feel like... Eric would understand this to an extent because um, he had uh, he essentially exposed or talked about his own pastor who that he had supported for years that um, was doing some nefarious sexual things and he felt compelled because of his podcasts and the goals of that podcast that he couldn't stay silent on those things he needed to address them head on. Otherwise, less he'd be considered a hypocrite or looking the other way or uh, even um, condoning the action. And we feel the same way. We feel like if we don't address this, now we're going to address it with love and care, 
but we're also not going to pull punches as far as truth goes. Um, but we feel like we do have to address this because one of the things that can cause division is apostasy. People leaving the church, people resigning the faith, because it can cause others to go, oh, you know what? I think you might be right. I was kind of on the fence, and now that I saw this guy that I know and trust do this thing, and I think they're they're courageous for doing it, then, hey, maybe I'll do it too. And it, that's that's church division at, at the worst in the worst sense, in my opinion. Right. And so this actually, if, if uh, this whole thing with Eric tells me anything, that apostasy is real, and it can take place. And whether you believe apostasy is they left of us because they weren't they weren't of uh, they left from us because they weren't of us, or you believe that they can straight up give back the gift or reject it, however you want to go about it, maybe never saved in the first place or whatever. Point is, apostasy is real, and Eric is someone I would consider a friend. I'm not sure if we're so friendly now <laughs> due to some things. Um, and basically, what has happened is so. For those of you who listen and you're not part of the RFP network, you're not part of the RFP community on Facebook and whatnot, uh, you're missing some of the context here. So let me give you some of that. So basically, a friend of mine texted me and sent me the episode uh, of Eric saying he's no longer a Christian. And I was like, All right, what? And you have to understand that me and Eric have had a frenemy ship, like an arrival ship. In a way, we'll sit there and shoot each other zingers on Twitter, and yeah, uh, we roast each other. He's actually really good at roasting. He's, he's, yeah, it's a gift. Quite funny. He's, he is a funny guy. Um, and uh, and he then I also found out through my friendship with him that he was extremely reformed. He left the IFB and jumped into the reformed camp and became a huge person who loved R.C. Sproul. And I actually find R.C. Sproul a bit of a joke of a theologian, but whatever. So him and I would just crack jokes at each other about his reform theology. He would crack jokes about me, and it was fine. And so I knew that fact that he seemed to hold to this particular view. And what happened multiple times is that I would have people, because he had the author of Jesus and John Wayne on, the author of that. He's had a lot of like progressive and feminism and things like that, and even atheists and stuff on his channel. And what would happen is that because he's saying, well, I'm focusing on an abuse and spiritual abuse and these are things that can cause us to try to help people. And I'm like, okay, little on the edge there. I, that's a little edgy, but who am I to judge? We're the church split. We're edgy, so it's whatever. But then uh, what would happen is that people would be like, oh, and in a year from now, he's going to be an atheist and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I've talked to him many times. He's very, very staunch in being what he is as a believer. And then I look very, 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 very foolish when the day he resigns the faith, people retweet a bunch of uh, the times I defended Eric, uh, retweet my own statements back at me. And I'm like, yep, that, yep, that feels good. Yep, I'll eat my words there. I'm gonna, I have to. But at the time, I was going by his word, just like now I'm going to take him at his word. Because what I see right now is people holding out hope and they go, well, really, what is he just says he doesn't know. Uh, so because he doesn't know, uh, you know, we shouldn't say he's an apostate yet. That is not taking him at his word on what he says in this video and in his own episode. And I took Eric at his word then. I'm going to take Eric at his word now because I've never had a reason to believe Eric's a liar. Um, so I'm going to do that. Also, what happened is that right when this episode came out, I went into the RFP community as one of the leaders of, in the RFP network, as one of the hosts. And I basically said that Eric's a friend of mine. I love Eric. But all of you, this is why you need to learn apologetics. This is why you need to know why you need to believe what you need to believe. You need logical reasons, not emotional reasons. And you need to hang on to that because Christ is real. Salvation is real. 
and the gospel's real. So hang on to that. And what ended up happening is a bunch of snowflakes had a meltdown because, oh, how dare you? You shouldn't have said anything against Eric here. You should just let him be in peace. I'm like, well, what we're having here is a leader with thousands of followers at this point. Thousands of followers, and now you're going to say that his influence is going to impact these people's souls? Do you have something that you, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just As Christians, is, that, is it not? Yes, I'm afraid of people walking away from the faith because they're going to feel like if they had doubts that he just gave them permission to give in because people have a tendency to follow leaders, as we're going to see with Eric himself. My point is really, it's, it, this is not the time for political correctness. This isn't the time to, um, to say things in a in the least combative way possible and just fill it with all this love language, because the message is lost. And people, if, if there's anything that's important, it's salvation. And if the Bible's taught us anything, that's that's one of the main things. So if we're if we're like, well, you know, that's not that important because what's more important is we just don't want to cause offense. Um, we're actually risking the salvation of others to try to protect feelings. And I think we've shown throughout all the episodes we've ever done that that's not our style. And I don't think it was God's style with Jesus. I don't think it was Paul's style. Um, obviously, we're going to say things in love, but we're also going to be truthful because I, I think we're, if we're going to be very politically correct... Politically correct is is not correct, right? You're saying something in a wrong way. Politically correct means not truthful, so we're going to be truthful, and it might hurt a little bit, but we're doing it. We're doing it for people. This isn't an episode directed at Eric. This is an episode directed at those that respect Eric, that follow Eric, that um, that are have been affected by Eric, have been on Eric's show, um, that look to him as a leader for faith. And might be in a situation where they're they're feeling their faith crumbling because they're seeing Eric's faith crumbling. Yeah, because and what we're seeing here, and that's that that's really what it is. It's one of those things where this isn't to Eric, although Eric, if you watch this, no, I love you, and I would still love to have a conversation with you. Uh, but I'm just letting you know that we're just going to speak very bluntly here and very honestly. And it's not because we hate Eric. It's actually because we love Eric, but more so at, than ever, kind of like with Rhett and Link. It's like, I love Rhett. I love Link. But I also want to respond for people who might listen and have their doubts now. Because at this point, you've already made, Eric's already made his decision. Now is how can we stem the tide against it? And what I was told recently is that we are being culty because we're being Christians, essentially. The Bible tells us to literally do this. It calls us to do this. All throughout 1 Timothy, call it, you know, making sure people don't go to the, the itching ears, making sure that people don't just make foolish decisions, making sure people don't apostatize, strengthening and admonishing one another, correcting one another. Mm -hmm. How do you correct somebody and not risk offending them? I was recently called, we were even recently called Gnostics, yeah. mostly me, because <laughs> I was saying, well, logic trumps feelings. And they're like, well, that's a Gnostic thing, that intellect is the number one thing and the only thing. I said, never said it was the only thing. But logic does trump feelings. You're, if your feelings aren't in a frame of reason, then your feelings can be misplaced and go anywhere. They would be unreasonable. Exactly. Um, so anyway, with that being said, I just wanted to set the stage properly. We would be remiss if we do not do this. It would If we don't approach this it would be a missed opportunity. We'd be hypocrites. And uh, there's nothing I hate more than being considered a hypocrite. 
So I'd, I'd say one more thing is we just we would love nothing more than for Eric to to say, yep, I, that was a temporary time of I don't know, and I truly am back in the church. I understand um, that the hurt that that I felt was not God, but was man, and I am I am back on the on the Christian path. We would love nothing more than that. This isn't meant to push him farther away from that. This is meant to keep those from going down that same path. And also, I know uh, his mom l- loves our channel. She listens to us a lot. So just so you know, Mom Skorzynski, I still love your son, and I know this is probably not an easy time for you, uh, that you you have a son whom you love dearly and you want to see him spiritually grow, and I know you're going to be alongside him during his spiritual journey. Uh, and I know it's not going to be easy to hear words about your son and what he's doing uh, from our perspective. So just know the fact that we still love you, we still love him, and uh, you know we still consider you guys both friends. But I will show a couple double standards in here, and we're going to we're going to approach that. So because one of the things is that he, Eric was upset that I made a public statement, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about consistency yeah. here. So just know that's the approach we're going for. I know it's a lot of hoeing and humming around before we jump in, but to be honest, I don't really want to do this episode, but we're going to. So, Yeah, we don't want to spend the next three weeks making the same comments to everyone about why we did this or what, what, who do we think we are or whatever. So we're just trying to set the stage so that you can at least get this far in the episode and, and have an understanding of where we're coming from. Right, exactly. So with that being said, let's jump into it. Eric, right off the bat, saying that he is no longer a Christian. So long story short, uh, I would no longer consider myself a Christian or a believer or fill in the blank, uh, any of those titles. Um, I'll kind of give some context as to the why and the what, but that's kind of the short version. Um, It's probably why you clicked on this episode or this video, because I indicated somewhere in the title that that was the case. Um, and like I said, I don't owe anybody that information. And I want to say from the beginning, this has no bearing on the issue of abuse within churches. This has no uh, bearing on the authenticity of the problem of abuse within churches. The only reason, like I said, that I'm bringing this up is personally, this is what I feel. And because I've been outspoken about where I'm personally coming from before, that's influenced the type of conversations I've had and the way that I presented this, uh, I, I do feel like I wanted to share it. So we have it from Eric's own mouth that he is no longer a Christian and he is no longer a believer. These are statements of knowing. So when people say, oh, he just says he doesn't know. He, step, he is actually making a statement of knowledge saying he is no longer those things because he no longer can know those things. So it is a statement of knowledge and it's also an absolute statement of I'm done. Okay. I am no longer a Christian and I'm no longer a believer. So I just want to say that all you people out there who are going, well, he just says he doesn't know. So, you know, he could truly be saved still. I think you are actually doing him a disservice. Yeah. Take him at his word. I mean, I'm just saying it cannot be easy to come out and say that sort of thing, especially when he knows that there's people like us and others who will respond. And then there's a, the IFB frothing at the mouth waiting for him to become an atheist. Yeah. And so. shame on them, too, by the way. Yeah. Shame there's, on them. There are, there's a few responses to this that are disgusting. It's the, yeah, he's the best. Eric, yeah, that's right, you enlightened man. Uh yeah, basically, welcome to atheism and welcome to hating Christians. And then there's the other side, which is just, yeah, I told you he sucked. 
Uh, both of you guys are disgusting, in my view. But if you're a Christian pastor and you heard the news of someone that you dislike is is no longer claiming to be a Christian, that should not give you joy. That should not give you happiness. You shouldn't be high-fiving your friends. You shouldn't be texting with all caps how excited you are that you were right. Um, that is not the Great Commission. That is not what we are called to do as believers. And shame on you as someone leading a flock of believers to even have that thought. Mm-hmm. And so then what ends up happening here, this is exactly why uh, I said that we should hold him to his word. But he does say that this has, should have no bearings on exposing abuse in the church, right? Like, should have no bearings on that. However, it does to some degree or other. Because, so first off, he does mention that people wanted him to be this Christian champion against abuse in the church, which is great. But the issue is, is now that you jump into the I don't know, which we'll just say is agnostic, okay? I'm not going to say Eric's an atheist. I'm going to say he's agnostic, which means that he probably doesn't confirm nor deny. I'm just trying to be fair to his position. He doesn't confirm nor deny the existence of God. But in agnosticism or atheism, you have no moral standard to claim that abuse is wrong at all. Abuse is just a social construct that we have developed as a society then to say that someone got uncomfortable with what you did. Yeah, and that's where we do think it would have an effect on the channel. Now, this is, again, just our opinion, but we believe this opinion comes from from biblical truth that there has to be a standard for morality. That's not and, an opinion. That's a fact. I'm just saying. it's. I'm just trying to be nice, and there I'm even and, I'm becoming a little bit politically correct because yeah. this is hard. But you need a... If you don't have a moral standard, or you don't have a moral standard giver, you really can't have a moral standard. Right, yeah, because you have a moral standard, right? Uh, You can say, well, no suffering. That's my moral standard, no suffering. But then you're implying that you know that that suffering is objectively wrong for all people. But if there is no God, and you are a space accident, or you can't confirm or deny that there's a God and you're a space accident, or you might be a space accident, you don't really have anything you can appeal to. Because the only way you can get objective moral standards is if there's a transcendent God who gives it equally to all men. Otherwise, you're a bunch of animals who disagree. We've been over this many times on the channel. Now, what other people say, well, uh, all you need is an objective, right? No suffering. And so what you're saying essentially is that, well, it's like a chessboard. I'll use the Matt Dillahunty example. You have a chessboard. Everyone agrees on the rules of chess, so now you can objectively play chess. You're right. But what if somebody doesn't want to play chess? Like, okay, you want to play chess? I don't want to play chess. I don't like chess. Why? Because I don't like the rules. Well, then you're screwed because you really don't have any other way to objectively say it's wrong. So you have no objective standards to say diddling children is wrong. You have no objective standard to say that having sex uh, as a te- uh, with a teenager is wrong. And no objective standard to say that hiring prostitutes as a married pastor is wrong. You can say he's hypocritical because he says that it's wrong, but he doesn't. Sure, he's contradictory, but who cares if, again, there is no God? It's just none of these. I said say this all the time. So I, we bred, we bred huskies, my wife and I. Uh, Dante, my male, he uh, sees some of the puppies that we had in the past. What does he do when he sees sees her? Genesis. He's excited. He's excited. And he'll still hump her. It's his daughter. We don't ever go. Oh my gosh, that's the most immoral thing ever. No, you understand that that's a dog. 
following animalistic instincts. Mm -hmm. Again, if there's no God, you're just a creature following animalistic instincts. Can you really be mad at somebody then for sexually abusing a kid? Is that not just him following his animalistic instincts? When my dog... uh, when my dog humps a puppy, no one thinks he's an immoral monster. You might go, gross, because you're just uncomfortable with it, but you don't yeah. think he's an immoral monster. You're like, he's a dog. Well, you're just an evolved, self-aware animal. And then then what? See, see how this does affect the podcast? Because now we have no moral standard to say it's wrong. This is going to come up a lot in here. Really, um, when I started the Preacher Boys podcast, uh, I was devoutly... Christian. Um, I was not attending church. Um, I was not uh, part of a local body, um, but that was out of frustration with abuses and things that were happening within churches. And I didn't feel comfortable for a variety of reasons attending a local fellowship. But personally, um, I felt very strongly about my faith. I was a strong believer. I was took the Bible literally. Um, and for all intents and purposes, really believed, um, you know, as strongly as ever. Um, I would say I was a fundamentalist, but not in the sense of being hateful and cruel and things like that. So just something interesting that he pointed out, and this isn't a dig against him, but this kind of a little bit shows just where he was starting. He mentions that when he started the podcast, he considered himself a devout Christian. Great. And we, we take him at his word on that, that he believes that and he felt that way. Um, but then he also says he wasn't he wasn't going to church, and he wasn't part of a local body, and the reason for that was because of the abuses he see in the church. And to me, the way he said that was a little, and we talked about this a little bit with him before, is a little bit of a red flag for us. Um, we're called as Bible believers to be in the church. Now, obviously, there's circumstances that we're not going to say that you're not a good Christian if you're not there every Sunday and whatever they're or you have to go Sunday and Wednesday night or Sunday and Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever. That's not what we're talking about. But it's but being the church is being the ecclesia, the body of believers. And I don't think you can really be that if you're not actually involved in a church. The other thing here is the fellowship of the church. Why is it that we're commanded not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some? Because the fellowship is strengthening. If you read the book of Acts... It is not that they did a worship service and a preaching. It was usually somebody did a preaching or a teaching, but usually to proclaim it to a group of unbelievers. Otherwise, when the church was together, they fellowshiped and broke bread. It was all about the strengthening of the brotherhood. So when you're like, I'm a devout Christian, but I don't go to church, what you're you're it's an oxymoron. It's like you're devout what? In in mind only, but not in deed. Also, the church is called to help the poor, the sick, and the widow. Now, a lot of churches are bad at that. Mm-hmm. But also, you keep if you separate yourself from the local body, you're not helping with those things, which I think someone like Eric would say that, yeah, the church needs to help these things, but then you need to be involved in that. So I just find it to be contradictory and hypocritical. Uh, and then, of course, because of the paranoia of abuse, because he's, you know, uh, and this is the other thing. Making the exception the rule. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've seen, because of what you've been involved in in that particular circle, you've seen horrible people brought into the church and allowed to do whatever. You've seen abusers. And then you start Preacher Boys podcast, and all you're doing is talking to people who've been abused. But those are the exceptions, not the rules. There's a lot of abuse in the church. Sure, same with the Roman Catholic Church. 
But actually, if you consider the amount of priests that have hurt little boys or girls, it is actually still a minority of the priests. It would be like saying, I'm not going to... I'm not going to have a job because I've just seen way too much fraud. Just seen way too much fraud. There's all these things in the news and all the time. I, you know, and I'm a financial auditor and I just see all this financial fraud all the time. People trying to um, steal money from companies, write fake checks, um, embezzle. So I, I'm just never going to have a job because every organization, I, I, I'm just scared of the fraud in the, in the organization. It's like, no, no, no. It, you can't judge the entire thing by some few bad cases, especially if your profession is going after the bad cases. Right. It like doesn't if make I, any sense. It doesn't right. follow. Like, I work for a company that goes after fraud. Okay. Well, then I, what, am I supposed to look at every single business as fraud? I mean, yeah, you chose to go after abuse. So, yeah, of course, that's what you're going to be hearing about. But, like, for example, my church, the church I go to, that's not an issue there. Do I, do I let my daughter go in the nursery? No. Is it because I'm afraid she's going to be uh, molested? No, it's surrounded by giant open windows, like right outside of, you've seen it, right outside of the sanctuary. I'm not worried about anything happening there. And also because I know half the people there babysitting them and they're really good people. Um, usually uh, the, the couple of the teenage girls and some of the older ladies in the church or whatever. But I don't because I just want my kid to learn how to be in service. I don't want to alienate her from the rest of the fellowship. Yeah. However, I also know that this church found out that there is uh, someone who did abuse in the church. Then instantly called the police, got the authorities involved, and took it care of it all properly. And I'm like, cool, this is a good church. Because you can't – I'm just going to be honest. You can do everything you can to prevent abuse. But it doesn't mean you're going to be able to stop it because abusers do find their way into places. The big thing is, is what happens when it's caught, what happens when it's brought to light, and are they doing everything to mitigate that possibility from even happening? So – Abuse is a factor of life. I, 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 okay. All right. Do I dare say it? I'm going to go for it. I'm going for it. I'm just going to send it. Okay. As a victim of all the abuse, all the abuse, okay, right here, sitting in this chair, I've been a victim of all the abuse. I'm really sick and tired of people acting like abuse is the ruins their entire life forever and ever and ever. And abusers can never be forgiven and never be trusted. I'm actually really sick of that narrative. You're not minimizing it, but you're just trying to put it in the proper context. Exactly. I've been abused. It was horrible. I got out of it. I overcame it. And you know what? The abusers, I have a good relationship with now. Not just my parents, okay, because everyone's going to be like, oh, your parents? No. I was spiritually abused too by certain people. And you know what? That person who was spiritually abusive and spiritually negligent with me apologized to me. And... What am I supposed to do as a Christian? I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to be consistent. And you know what? We actually have like a decent friendship now. Point is, is I'm really sick of that. Well, oh, I was molested as a kid. Can't get past it. That person deserves to rot in prison for the rest of his life. I don't know. I'm just kind of sick of that victim mentality, victim mentalities and everything. Uh, of course, me saying this is probably going to get canceled. <laughs> but it's just the truth. I'm sick of it. Uh, I, I, I just get really tired of that. I'm sorry. Like I get it. Abuse is real. Abuse is damaging and it can take years to detox from it, but also it's overcomable. And yes, you can forgive people. And I'm not saying you have to trust them. You have to, Oh no, that I've been, you know, I was abused by this person. So now I'm going to leave my child with them. No. Okay. I'm not telling you to be stupid, but I'm telling you, you can move on. You can get past it. And 
it's time to stop walking around like a freaking witch hunt all the time. Uh, move on a little bit. I'm Again, I'm not minimizing it. Am I making sense? Yes. Okay, maybe it's because you know me. Let's see what the comments say later. Point is, I think it's hypocritical uh, here for you to say I'm a devout Christian and that you weren't ever involved and it's, you're so paranoid of abuse when that's all you focus on as your career. It's like It'd be like me going, I can't go to the church. The church is too divided. Will, you're the church split, split guy. So. That's what you focus on. Nope, it's too divided. Can't go. Come on, man. Yeah, I might know. talk about some controversial topic. Yeah, exactly. Um, and really, what's chipped away at my faith over the last two years has been really the nature of the stories that I've covered on the shows. Um, and look, I, I want to say this too. I know there's going to be people who feel as they listen to this episode, the desire to message me, write me an email, send me a, a, a you know, fill in the blank. Um, you know, just put some thought before you do that. I, I'd rather not get 30 or 40 of the same messages, or um, I, I really don't want to just get rebuttals to what I'm saying uh, because I'm not presenting an argument. I'm just sharing my personal experience. And, um, you know, really, as I started doing the podcast, as I started seeing these things happen, uh, there were many things that started to continue to chip away at a faith that had been hit with the sledgehammer by many circumstances that I've talked about on the show previously. And what's really taken place over the last couple of years um, has been a, a situation where I've looked at Christianity and as a believer, I would look at situations and be frustrated that different organizations or different people or different leaders didn't represent what I believed was true Christianity, quote unquote, true Christianity. And as I've done this podcast and as I've received messages from pastors and spoken on the phone with pastors and dealt with survivors of abuse and looked at organizations from the Southern Baptist Convention to the Independent Baptist world, true Christianity has become um, more and more elusive and more and more blurred and more and more marred. And I just really found myself starting to question if, quote unquote, true Christianity uh, existed. So right there, he says what's chipped away at it is the nature of the stories in which he's covered, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially, it's because of all the abuse stories that he's covered. And again, this is letting the exception define the rule. And yes, you've experienced, you've seen a lot of horrible things. But you even said you've talked to many pastors on the phone. Probably pastors that were encouraging your work. Happy about your work. I know so many people are like, we need the preacher boys because we need that person going after them. We need to know. It's like Batman, right? Like, they, I will find you. <laughs> That's what made it great. Yeah, because there was actually finally some accountability in some of And churches. Christians were happy about it. Like, finally, somebody's willing to kick the hornet's nest. Because churches have known. And yes, a lot of churches brush it under the rug. I was a whistleblower, okay? I did a whistleblower. My first youth pastor, I had to be a whistleblower. And you might be like, Will, you now know two churches where this has happened. Yeah, I do. I, but I know a lot of churches where there hasn't been, okay? I was a whistleblower in one. Okay, it's it's a thing. But then he moves on and says that as he's talked to fundamental Baptists and people at the Southern Baptist Convention, it sounds like to me or a lot of the Baptist world, the true Christianity has become more and more elusive. And does, is true Christianity even around anymore? 
So I felt like this would be a good time to discuss a little bit of the nature of Christianity. Yeah. So, yes, Christianity is very theologically broad, which can make it seem elusive uh, because there's a lot of different views. Okay. But also, there are some unifying factors. Some are the fundamentals of the faith that we've talked about on this channel, the deity of Christ, the blood atonement, uh, the infallibility of scripture, things like that. True Christianity at its most basic is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then what you have to do is you have to, pl- you have to uh, present a more plausible theory to that event, to debunk it, to say that it's not worth believing. Because historians agree there was an empty tomb. Historians agree that the apostles definitely had some sort of experience where they believe they saw the risen Christ. Do Enough you know why? Because what? Enough to die for. Yep, because all the apostles died terrible deaths. Terrible deaths. Horrific deaths. And a lot of people are like, well, those are like third, secondhand accounts. They're consistent with the historical time period. We don't doubt other historical events of that time from those sources unless we can absolutely prove it wrong. But we have multiple sources that attest these things, um, all within different time periods. So we definitely know it happened. uh, So again, yeah, well, okay. You have to understand, present why would the apostles die? Why was his own mother convinced that he was raised from the dead? Then you also have to account for the empty tomb. Where did the body go? You might be able to say the body was stolen, but again, it was guarded. And Romans are professional killers. So instead, people have gone come up with crazy theories. Uh, like, well, the only thing that can explain the data is that he must have swooned. He must have not actually died. They must have just thought he was dead. But the problem is with this, we have no historical record ever of the Romans not fulfilling an execution. They're professional killers. And let's be honest, it's not too hard to kill somebody. So then they're like, well, they had a, a big spiritual event where maybe they all saw a vision. Like it was all... Uh, an illusion that they all saw at once. Well, problem is that there's never been a case ever of a whole group having the same stinking vision, uh, especially that is something that's that believable. Then there's the uh, fake the body situation. Oh, it's a lookalike. Problem was is again his mother and best friends all thought he was actually dead. Like Peter, who had a history that we know of denying Christ, later on died because he would not deny Christ something had to change there big time Mm -hmm. for him. Then you have someone like Paul, and we all know by good historical record that Paul was a murderer of followers of Jesus. And then he joins them and dies for the cause. At least twice. (laughs) Yes. And these are, these are historical records. Like these are not just things that we're making up that people have said that Luke, the writer of the gospel of Luke and Acts is one of the most profound historians of his time. So again, you have to pose a theory here. So when you say it's, it's, uh, you know, it's elusive, it's hard to like actually pin down, you have to understand the fact that it's like, okay, but that's the center. So as long as you can kind of go with that and the apologetic arguments of philosophical reasons for God's existence, you can go, I have good reasons to be a Christian. Now I just got to work out my other issues. Well, and the other part of it is the gospel message itself, which is another unifying part of Christianity, um, states that we are all sinners who are in need of a Savior. So 
I don't understand how seeing sinners truly would cause someone to go, well, this can't be right. The gospel message is literally saying you all cannot reach salvation on your own accord. You're going to do terrible things, and you're going to repeat do terrible things. You're going to do it unconsciously, and you're going to do it purposefully. And the only way that you you can have a relationship with God is to have God himself sacrifice himself, pay for your sins so that you can be seen by God as he sees Christ. So that these are basic agreed-upon ideas across all of Christianity. We're including Catholicism, too. They all believe this. So to be faced with seeing the, the drudges of humanity, the sin, the sexual immorality, the desire for self, gratification, should not be surprising to someone that actually understands the gospel. This is not a condemnation on Eric saying he doesn't understand it. I just don't, I don't understand how he could come to that conclusion after seeing sin if you understand the gospel message. Now, we're getting a little ahead of our series that we're doing because we've been going through Genesis and we're going through some theology. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke a bear. So sit down, Nathan Cravat. This is going to bother you. Stephen Boyce, you as well. But I will say this is also a problem with the Reformation. Okay, here we go. All right, so the Reformation did a great thing. It exposed a corrupt church. And, of course, it gave the Bible to the people. I love that. But with the Reformation came new theology that was not historically in the church except for Augustine, but even Augustine would not agree with Calvin, okay? They, they still had disagreements. In fact, uh, Augustine believed someone could apostatize and lose their salvation. You could, there's straight-up quotes you can read about Augustine with this. Of course, it depends if you're talking about earlier or later Augustine, too, because... Those two disagreed. But hold up here. When you're saying it's elusive, and I have talked to Eric about this a few times about his theology. If he truly was a reformed believer of someone like R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul believed all things were determined and decreed by God for his own glory. Meaning everything, every action of man is not actually free. God decreed all of it. He commanded all of it. Why? For his own glory. So Eric's old theology literally believed that God decreed teenagers to be raped by their youth pastors. Why? Because it glorifies him. And if somebody can explain to me how that brings glory to God, have at it. But it doesn't. It actually makes God evil. I'm just going to say it. That makes God evil. Like, I cannot sit there and go, you know what? I'm going to, like, it's, think of, like, the rape of Nanking, that hor- horrific tragedy. Yeah. One of the things that the Japanese soldiers would do is they would sit there and make fathers rape daughters or sons rape their mothers. Sorry, guys. I know this is uncomfortable. And they would sit there with a gun to their head, do this, and what? Why? For their own self-gratification, for their own glory? You see the problem here? Well, and let's face it. God could actually, if... If we say that God is determining all things, then God could determine that he is glorified in a much less gruesome way. Right. Because you can say, okay, well, this well, why would gruesomeness? Why would gruesomeness even... Is he a pagan God yeah. where gruesomeness glorifies him? That sounds horrible. Well, even if we accept the premise that, okay, but, but through that, someone came to Christ because they saw the horrific part of man, and they saw the perfectness of God, and they became Christ. Okay, cool. God can do that another way. He doesn't need to determine that they are horrifically raped first so that they can have that opinion, 
there's clearly plenty of people that are believers that have not experienced something so horrific and are still trusting their faith in Christ. So I don't, I don't understand the idea that this is glorifying to God. And that's one of the things I kind of harassed Eric about a little bit, was like, hey, imagine exposing abusers in the church as if they could have done otherwise. Because if you're a Calvinist, you don't believe they could have done otherwise. So even if you're a compatibilist, because compatibilism is just determinism with lipstick. So we're going to get into that in our newer series. So have fun. Uh, All you Reformed people who actually listen to us are going to hate us, but uh, maybe you'll actually see reason. So the point is here is, yes, it might seem elusive, but that is why you don't stop at the Reformation and you don't stop at the medieval Catholic Church. You go back further and you dig further and you dig further and you find actual true orthodoxy. True orthodoxy exists, man. It's out there. There's plenty of churches that believe more orthodox positions. If you were ever involved in that, probably because you were always in the Baptist realm, which tends to be very Protestant, which tends to come from a Reformed background. So if you're like, oh, it seems more elusive, it's because over time the change and shift and misunderstanding of Scripture took place. I'm not saying they're less Christian, but I can definitely see where the confusion could come in when you're like, wait, these people believe this, these people believe that. Why? Well, because one of them is more historical than the other. And I know we have doc- we had Dr. James White on here, and if he watches this, he's going to lose his mind. <laughs> but uh, d- just throwing that out there. But anyway. Well, and, and Eric, we agree that there are some serious problems in the church, thus our name. We understand that there are a lot of problems in the church. We don't think that the entire church 100% is corrupt and therefore shows that there is no such thing as God. We don't accept that at all. But we accept there's problems in the church because churches are run by men, and men are sinful. And they're still sinful even after they're justified. Which means you give a, a man power in a church or a position of authority. Some men do it with great honor and dignity and do a great job. Uh, your pastor does, my pastor does. Mm-hmm. And then other, pa- other pastors, yeah, it, their pride and their sin could get in the way. Next thing you know, they're falling into it. And it's easy to do. It's, it, it can, it, that can sneak up on anyone. Now, there's also this weird uh, kind of self-righteousness I noticed, too. Like, okay, so he found out his pastor um, was hiring prostitutes, right? So just hiring pro- he was hiring prostitutes. Look, I'm not saying what he did was moral. But I am saying he's a sinful human, and he's going to fall into horrible sins. Now, I know he had you fooled, and I know he had everyone fooled, and that's part of the manipulation that took place. But also, it's very shameful for a pastor to have such sexual desires. You and I have talked about this. We have put sexual sin on such a high pedestal that those who struggle with sexual sin half the time can't talk about it for fear of being completely cast out of the fellowship. And that's why being in a fellowship that can be truthful and honest and actually bear each other's burdens, actually works. It right. actually works. Because if you also, uh, if a pastor's paranoid, oh, man, I have lustful thoughts. My marriage isn't doing too hot, and I have lustful thoughts because we're not jiving. I'm not jiving with her very well. Uh, we're not having sex, and I really am a lustful person. Uh, you know, maybe I can do this. No one has to know because if anyone knows I'm struggling with this, I'll lose my job. I'll lose my family. I'll lose everything. So maybe I can just do this as a secret, which, of course, is counterproductive. We all know that. I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that just because you or somebody else doesn't struggle with a sexual sin doesn't mean somebody else doesn't. And I'm not justifying it. I'm saying, though, that there is a level here of like, okay, but 
You don't know exactly what brought that person to that position. When I have found out people falling into sexual sin, I usually just sit down and talk to them. Like, hey, what's going on? I usually find out I was sexually abused at this age or this happened to me at this age. I got addicted to porn at this age um, and usually very young. And this has been something I've fought my entire life, but I could never be open about it. I was so ashamed of it and that everyone talks so harshly about it. I never felt like I could talk to anybody. So I'm just saying that the church could do better as well at how we handle sexual sins. That's my point. Uh, that's We're called the church split for a reason. Sexual sin needs to be condemned, but also we need to give a proper pathway to, re to redemption. The Bible's thing is always judge things by their fruit, judge things by their fruit, judge things by their fruit. And time and time again, I was just seeing fruit that was rotten. The fruit of Christianity just seemed rotten. And then fast forward to starting this show and the horrific things that are said uh, about me for doing this show by pastors uh, the messages that I get, the phone calls I've had, the sermons that have been preached where I've been mentioned, it, it just, I just keep seeing people going, if this is true Christianity, I don't want it. And I'm also seeing people who are claiming to be part of true Christianity, who are leaving fundamentalist circles, who are acting just as cultish and toxic as, you know, those within it. And you know, and it's not everybody. There's good, there are good people. I'm not saying that everyone who's a Christian is an enemy. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm good friends with many, many people. Um, but for me, it's just gotten to a point where if the Holy Spirit is real and if the gospel is transformative and changes people, then why am I not seeing more transformed people? This has me a little bit of eye rolling and a little bit of a gut punch at the same time. Mm -hmm. <sighs> There's a lot to unpack on that statement. Okay, yeah. So judge things by their fruit. And oh, the fruit of Christianity is rotten. Really? Have you looked at statistics? Do you know how many charities, how many people are supported by Christian groups? How many Christians have come to rescue people a bunch of people in the medical field, Christian. Bunch of people in the military to protect people, Christian. Bunch of people in law enforcement, Christian. Bunch of people in charities. Most people in charities and nonprofits are Christian. Christians, by and large, give more to charity than any other group. Christians, more than any other group, adopt children who are orphans or in foster care. More other people group, more people group than ever, do foster care. Christians do a lot of stuff. What do you mean that the fruit of Christianity is rotten? It, okay, so there's some bad apples. Well, but that doesn't change this. But And you have a podcast that is dedicated to the rotten fruit of, of churches. And you again... Should, are you surprised that you're seeing rotten fruit, fruit? That's how you're making episodes. Yeah, I mean, that you're literally jumping in. That's your, That was your thing. I'm going to expose the bad fruit, bad fruit. You need to have certain fortitude, obviously, to do that. You know, I'm just going to hang out on bad fruit all day, which is probably why you needed to be involved in a strong local fellowship that was awesome to support you. The other thing is to mention here is like the other groups act just as culty. And you and I were accused of doing this recently. You act just as bad as the IFB, just a different flavor. You're culty. Uh, you guys are cultish. In fact, I saw somebody tweet about the RFP that the RFP uses a cult-like statement of truth never fears a challenge. As if that's, guys, that's just a slogan that they were using to make a statement about truth being important. Um, it's not culty to be a Christian and hold people accountable for their Christianity. 
That's what this channel has been doing. You say you're a Christian. This is what the Bible says. Okay. And we just, we keep it to what the Bible says. Keep it to what the Bible says. Then we welcome people to disagree with us if they want to. And we might make some mistakes and we welcome corrections on those. Yeah. I don't but, think that's a cult thing to do. But this whole, but what it, what really is, all right, I got to get on a soapbox. What it really is, is that when people say you're acting culty, what they really mean is the fact that you have standards in, and I know that's how did IFB, right? Yeah, now you have standards. <laughs> no, but what I have are intellectual standards of objectivism, right? When they say that you're being culty, it means that I have beliefs. When they say you're acting culty, it means that I have passions and I believe certain ideologies are wrong and evil. I believe, you know, that, yeah, I'm a conservative Christian. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of communism. Does that make me culty for pushing against it? No. Does it make me uh, culty because I push against social justice movements that are handling everything very poorly? No. Uh, Pro-life? No, that's not culty. These are just passions and positions I hold. And let's just face it. Everyone has a, has sets of standards that they have. We're just trying to you have our standards be from Scripture and not out of our own head or adding to it. Scripture and reason. Those are the areas that I – and I try to be consistent in my thought. That's not culty. And ni- neither is RFP. Neither is other groups. It's just – it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep saying stuff like that when really – I mean, for example, are you culty because you push against sexual abuse? No, because you have a standard of morality. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Of course, now that if you're no longer a Christian or a theist, you really don't have an objective standard. But point is, is that if you're saying that, are you culty for pushing against that? In fact, uh, there was this kind of self-righteous tweet that went out that was like, I, I basically, I don't have time to debate uh, Bible versions and other theology where there's ch- like children being raped by their youth pastors. And it's like, can't we say that all these things need to be discussed? Yeah, more than one thing can be important at once. Yeah, it's like me going, well, guys, we can't be talking about, you know, giving to the widow when there's babies being murdered in the womb. Like, no, we could talk about all these things. So I don't know. That's, there's a lot of this sort of like broad brushing and hyper-emotionalism here. And you're going to see a lot of emotionalism here, okay? And then I wanted to take a moment to kind of confess I'm going to confess my sins. There it is. And the reason, and I'm actually serious, I'm going to confess some things. Because he said that if the Holy Spirit was real, the gospel was real, why don't we see more changed lives? Why don't we see more people change? few things. I work with a lot of recovered alcoholics who thank Jesus Christ for getting them out of it, that they could not get out of it through any other means until they gave their life to Christ. And then he, through the Holy Spirit, gave them strength to overcome their alcoholism. I work, I have met multiple people. I know somebody right now who has a pornography addiction who is clean for months now because he said it's time to be, stop being in bondage to the chains of sin and instead be a slave to Jesus Christ. So my sins, here we go. The gospel absolutely transformed my life. If you didn't know me before, I was bitter, angry, I was violent, okay? I, me and my brother got in a fist fight once. Him and I both were in that, we were both in an abusive home and him and I both tensions were high. I was mad because he was pushing back against the system in a way that what I thought was more destructive to him and I felt like everyone was being destructive. So of course I did the most logical thing which was be destructive. 
So, <laughs> so I got into a fight with my brother, and I was literally choking him out. Like, I had him down on the ground. There's this uh, chokehold you could do where you wrap your arms around their neck this way, grab their shirt, and you would use your arms against him. And then my brother, uh, and I was just so angry. I don't even know. I almost, like, saw red. He picked me up, and he threw me through the wall. I've never seen him do that. And I put a giant hole in the, uh, in the drywall. Um, and then we fought more. <laughs> and then the police showed up. <laughs> um, I was... Uh, I dated a lot of girls, and I was—I uh, liked to be sexually involved with women. I enjoyed myself uh, because I stopped caring about the church or Bible. I didn't care about any of that. I was, in many ways, a hellion. I just was. I did whatever I wanted, and I didn't care because of all these things. And then when I got saved, well, I remember that 17 years old, I distinctly remember being confronted with my sin. And I it, it I it was literally like midnight and it broke me. Hmm. Uh, and you know me, I'm not an emotional guy. Nope. And it broke me. Uh, when I, re I read, I picked up the Bible. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna let this thing. I'm gonna read this thing and I'm gonna see what it actually says. And what you know, because I, I you know at this point I wasn't like denouncing God, but I wasn't really taking it seriously either. I was like, all right, whatever, God, if you're real, you'll turn me around. Started reading through the Book of John. Uh, and I got to John 14, and it was the biggest gut punch I ever had. And that's why to this day, it's one of my favorite uh, chapters of Scripture, because I just seem to remember this moment. I got saved. And over time, I look back at that Will, who was in his late teenage years, and I literally go, I don't even know who that person is. I, it seems so monstrous. I look at what I was and what I was becoming. I was becoming the very thing I hated was the abusers and the self-serving thing, yeah. right? I just was out for myself. I, I mean, this is like legitimate confession here, guys. Like, I, I'm sorry. This is a little real talk. But my point is when I hear somebody like this saying, well, psh, where's the change lies? I am I'm borderline offended. And I don't say offended very often, but I'm like, excuse me? I'm a changed life. And I know plenty of people who watch and listen to the church split who would also say it's a changed life. One person, we're going to have him on. He's texting me tonight, but Dan Mason, I'm not going to give his story away, but he's a changed life. Yeah. We had someone just this past weekend on, Brandy. I don't know when this is going to air that episode or this episode first, but she's also changed life because of the Holy Spirit. And we had Jake Egan on, a literal child murderer. He was a child, and he helped kill a child. Now he's... He's following Christ. He's denounced all that violence. He literally found a Bible in his, in his prison cell, and it changed his life. Right. We had Autumn on, who said she was addicted to sex uh, on the channel. And through her husband leading her to the Lord in a healthy way, the gospel changed her life. Yeah. And this is just our small channel talking to just some people. Our point is here, those stories are not hard to find. Those people are not hard to, hard to see. You just got to look for him if you want to see him. So I hope I hope at least this helps if Eric does see this. He at least sees that part and says, oh, okay, maybe there are some people that have had some change in mind. Maybe even, is it you, Eric? I mean, I don't assume that you were doing any of these, these terrible things. Was the Holy Spirit working in you? It's a good question. Uh, actually, I know another guy at my church uh, who was suicidal, wanted to die, and the gospel changed his life. And I've known many people who are suicidal that the gospel turned them around. 
because they found that they had meaning. And so this, I, I, it's, it, it's so frustrating because it's not true. And that's what's killing me here. It's not true. It, it, the gospel is life-changing. God is life-changing. Jesus Christ is, is life-changing. But if all you do is stare down the abyss of evil without being anchored, without remembering the good, you will soon forget the good. And that's what he was doing. He surrounded himself with nothing but stories and victims, and then he was not involved in a fellowship of the church, and he was kind of alone on this podcast, too. It's not like there was a bunch of us. He was a part of a network that they all, we all t t talked and contacted each other over things. He was alone, so I, th I can't help but feel like that was part of it. He covered, the, kept covering these stories, and all you do is staring down the evil abyss, and uh, in the words of Andrew, you sometimes forget that the abyss stares back. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not to get too far into details, but we had one email that we got that I still remember that was describing some terrible abuse they, they received as a child and through um, up until they're an adult by the church. I read the email once, and I, I'm also like, Will, I'm not a very emotional person. The, the email literally had me in tears, and I will not read that email again. Uh, no offense to that person, I just won't read it again. Um, and so I understand how hard that is to hear those stories. Just hearing it once for me was was heartbreaking, and I didn't want to engage in it further. Uh, the I don't know how many episodes that Eric has done where he's literally talked to people face-to-face -face that have had this and have them describe it in great detail what has been done to them. I, I honestly can't imagine what Eric was going through with those, so I understand the frustration and the anger at the church for allowing those things to occur. I get that completely. And that righteous anger comes from a moral lawgiver. Right. Comes from God. You, the only way you know a, cro uh, a crooked line exists is if you know what a straight line is, right? And that's, a, you know, and that's exactly it. It's scary. I, I get it. Like, I mean, I have talked to people on the phone. I've talked to people this week on the phone with, uh, with horrible stories. And I get it because I hear the, those and I'm like, ah, man, what a gut punch. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine just that's – that is literally why we don't do that exclusively here. I just don't – that's can't too much. That's too heavy. I will talk about it when it's necessary and I will bring it up. Like we – you know, we've had Julius on who talked about racism, that, that, that discrimination he experienced. Micah talked about his sexual abuse. We've talked about it, but it's just not the thing that I want to – always bring myself in because man, just that it's a dirty, dirty mire down there. I want it exposed, but I do not only want to talk about that exclusively on my channel because that's not my idea of a fun side gig. But point is, is yeah, we understand. And then also just, I don't want to go into a big thing about this, but just so many questions for me that just can't be answered. Um, I interviewed Amanda Montel, who wrote the book Cultish. Um, our episode actually drops uh, Sunday. And, you know, one of the things she talks about in the book is thought-terminating cliches. And I just realized that so much of my faith was safeguarded by thought-terminating cliches. It was, uh, for those that don't know, thought-terminating cliches is a semantic stop sign. It kind of stops your thinking, stops you from identifying cognitive dissonances. And there were so many things where I would do that, where something really horrific would happen in the church. God works in mysterious ways, or uh, God is the judge, or 
um, you know, you're just bitter, you know, um, you need to be forgiving. And, um, you know, uh, when I was in Fresno, it was, you just don't seem to really understand the gospel. It was just always the problem was me and not the thing that I was critiquing or asking questions about. And really, once I started identifying those thought-terming cliches, the rest of my faith really crumbled very quickly. Yeah, thought-terminating cliches are a thing. That is why this channel also exists. So that way you have very strong linear thought and cognitive dissonance doesn't have to exist. Because I have, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I've searched a long time for many different things to make sure I have a lot of coherency in my thought process. And just because you found one thought, like, yeah, the whole his ways are above our ways. Yeah, that is absolutely thought terminating cliche. But so is all, he decreed all things that come to pass. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Mysterious. I don't understand. Yeah, when actually, really, it's not that complicated if you really, truly understand it. Well, um, we admit that there's a lot of that in Christianity. Right. And maybe what it really is is the fact that you had a certain theological framework that was self-contradictory and logically fallacious. Maybe you just needed to rebuild the theological framework. Maybe, maybe you left the IFB, went to another theological framework, and that for theological framework doesn't hold up either, so you need to shift your theology. It's okay. I mean, my, my theolo theological journey was like, okay, this seems more probable. Nah, not this and this. And, this. and it just it was one gradual step after another. Yeah, and I think one thing to point out, too, is another thought-terminating cliche would be the phrase, I don't know. There's a lot of things we can know. We admit that there are things that we can't know, but it is a thought-terminating cliche to say, I don't know, to something that can be known. Exactly. There's a lot of things that Christ Christianity does answer a lot of questions, though, too. So uh, I just think sometimes, uh, I, I, Dan, Dan, you and I were all talking about this the other day. If you are starting to have doubts, that's the time to roll up your sleeves and get to work. Yeah. Because you can answer those doubts. But you just need to get do, be willing to put in the legwork. You got to be willing to pick up a book. You got to be willing to listen to a scholar. You can't just have questions and then once, because you haven't answered them or you don't have it readily available, go, well, don't know, and just walk away. Now, I'm not saying that's what Eric's done, but I'm just, that's, that's unsolicited advice to all of you. <laughs> he doesn't list any of the questions he had that were going unanswered or that he didn't have good answers for. He has, he mentioned several times in this episode that he might do a follow-up. I hope he mentioned some of those because it'd be nice to address some of those. Um, and some of the other uh, episodes we've done about people resigning their faith. They have brought up some of those questions, and um, a lot of times there were there were easy, well-known, very old answers to these questions. It's not that they're bad questions; they're great questions, but there are great answers for them. Yep. Um, so, but it does require a little bit of searching. And we've talked to people too that are like, oh, can you, uh, you know, they're kind of on their way out, right? They're one foot out the door of church, and they're like, convince me, convince me, well, convince me, Brian, you know, give me the, and and we'll give them some stuff. Like, oh, that's. I don't want to do like homework, like just like give me the real obvious answer so I can just move on and not have to put a lot of effort into this. If if you if you really want to know, it requires effort. Right. Because I can't seriously give you a five-minute synopsis of 1,200 pages of a scholar. That There's no way to do that. We're just not that smart. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just have devoted my life to get a PhD in history around the resurrection. <laughs> um. And again, I'm happy to give more details about this. If you guys have specific questions, like feel free to comment, you know, wherever this is shared. 
uh, and ask there. I don't really want to get a lot of personal DMs and things like that. Um, it's just too much to dig through and, and think about, but I'm, I'm happy to do another video and kind of talk through it. Um, but for me, it just got to a point where, you know, I'm not angry. I'm not, I just, I can't live in a way that's incompatible with what I actually believe. And I just don't, I just don't believe it anymore. So I do want to point this out because uh, I got a lot of hate uh, in the RFP community for speaking against the apostasy here. And I, and I was told, well, you shouldn't have said it, made a public statement. You should have DM'd him. Well, a couple things in the, his very episode, you go listen to it, it's only like 27 minutes, not very long. Um, he says that he welcomed public responses, his own words. Again, I'm taking him at his word. And I think we could all be man enough and adult enough here to just take each other at our word. And then he also said right here multiple times that he doesn't want a ton of DMs. So I was like, I don't really want to blow up his phone when he just sent this out. I feel like he's going to just be already like at a certain like emotional like high after this. Like probably just doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And I was like, he doesn't really know. And we're friends, but we're not like besties. Like if this happened to you, I would of course instantly – contact you. You've been at my front door. <laughs> I'd be at your front door with a baseball bat with the gospel written in blood on it, beating you to death with it. It'd be like that movie where you're literally holding open my eyes and, and holding the Bible in front of me. Like, read. <laughs> like Bird Box. Like <laughs> That's what the movie is. Hold <laughs> it open the eyes. But also, one of my frustrations that happened here was that Eric and other, and other people got upset that I didn't DM him. Uh, Eric said himself, I appreciate at the very least that JC and Nathan both reached out privately first before making any public statement. Others I thought were friends didn't extend that courtesy, and that was hurtful. I'm sure he's referring to us. But you literally said you don't want a ton of DMs, and you welcome public responses. Giving you time to breathe, I thought was being a friendly thing. Then I thought about it for a couple hours, and I was like, you know, I should probably text him. You know, I, maybe I, I'll just risk it. I don't want to blow up his phone, but at the same time, I'll just shoot him a text and let him know that hey, I love him. His episode was a public episode. We're making a public response, not nece not to him necessarily. What we're t but this is really more of a public response to all the viewers of of his podcast and ours and those that might see it in the future. And it's worth noting again if you have a public platform. And you're at this point a public leader. Then, when you say that you're no longer a Christian, with a uh, you had a, a large majority of your audience was a Christian community. Now you have forced the Christian community to respond, because you were once someone who said you were one of us. Now I have to go as somebody who is part of this leadership. Go. Well, we got to say something. Yeah, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Just like. Eric's pastor, who was doing sexual immoral, immoral things, that didn't happen in a vacuum either. And that had impacts on others, just like this has impacts on others. Different ways, but potentially the same end. And right. Eric is saying that that had a major impact on tearing down his faith. We are concerned that his episode might also, and already has shown to have a negative impact on other people's faith. Yeah, because other people said, you know, now after seeing that people responded to you, now I'm leaning more your direction. And other people are saying that like, oh, yeah, well, now that you say that, you know, I've seen people already denounce the faith or get close to denouncing the faith just because of this episode. And that's actually causing a church split over a real problem, which is the gospel. 
So anyway, that's, that's why we felt like we had to do a video on this. Yeah, exactly. We're not looking for content on this. We already have plenty of episodes coming out. In fact, yeah, this was more of an inconvenience. We had to find a time in our schedule to make literally it work. Literally doing this at almost midnight. So anyway, guys, I really wish Eric gave more reasons than he did in his episode as to why he's not a Christian anymore. Honestly, what I picked up on here was a lot of inconsistency and emotionalism. A lot of it was emotionalism. And that's kind of, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a jerk. Eric is a very empathetic person. So I think he does tend to be more emotional. And when he said that, well, I, I can't, I can no longer have a faith and follow that when I believe something else. So most likely it means that he, there was some sort of thing where he started leaning, thinking that something made more sense than another, or maybe, I don't even know what it is. It could be the fact that he never thought, he doesn't think there's any redemption for abusers ever. It could be simply like, I don't know, the big one that a lot of people are saying is that like LGBT should be completely okay. And if you think that's okay, then you can't be a Christian, whatever. Yeah. Um, We're it's, not asserting the motives. We're I'm not asserting guessing. motive. I'm just saying that there's something there that he hasn't specified and I wish he had. So that way we can respond directly to those. But either way, I've yet to hear from all the Christians who I've seen apostatize over the last few years. I've yet to hear a single compelling reason for it because none of it deals with the actual arguments for the existence of God and doesn't deal with the, uh, the actual evidence for the resurrection of Christ. So until those things can get properly dealt with or debunked, I can honestly say I don't think it's logical to leave the faith. And there's a reason why the Greek word for the word for word when the word became flesh is logos which is where we get the word logic because god's and genesis one is god's order it's all about god's logic and order the word became flesh god used that word and that logic to create the order of the universe because logic is order right it's a thoughtful order so your emotions cannot rule your logic your logic must rule your emotions otherwise you could justify anything when remember he was talking about uh was it thought Thought terminating cliches. Cliches. Thought terminating cliches. Emotions driving thought is what creates those. Instead, we should have thought dictating your feelings. So I know we said a lot, and I said some probably harsher things about certain positions than others. But guys, this is not something I enjoyed. And so if I came off a little fiery, it's not because I'm angry. It's just because I'm passionate about this. And it's heartbreaking and frustrating when you're like, these aren't good reasons, and I think you are labeling the entire group. You're making the exception of the rule. And guys, Christianity is not cultish. There are cultish groups, sure, but I certainly am not cultish. I do not try to control people's thoughts. I like to debate, but debating is like a Christian tradition. It's a Jewish tradition. Okay, Acts chapter 15, check it out. But debate does not mean cult. Arguing does not mean cult. In fact, it means that we're passionate about this. We want to try to get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, Eric, we love you. We do. And I really want to see you go turn the other way. I'd be happy to have multiple phone conversations. They don't have to be aired or talked about. Uh, I would just love to have the chance to talk to you and walk you through some of these things and have you walk me through some of your thoughts and interact with the material. If you're willing to do that, great. Um, if not, that's okay. I understand that you have probably connections with other people. But otherwise, if you are a follower of Eric, uh, of, of Preacher Boys, I would encourage you not to be swayed by your faith, by any of the reasons that he brings up. If you feel doubts, dig in, find stuff. Shoot us an email at thechurchsplit at gmail.com. We'd love 
to talk with you and send you resources. I don't have time with all the emails and stuff we have coming in. I don't have time to write like a multi-page thesis, but I could definitely send you where to start to look for materials. So feel free to reach out if you're having doubts. And most of all, don't don't be pulled astray, guys. Stand stand firm. God is real. Christ is true. The gospel does impact lives. The Holy Spirit does change lives. And um, just because somebody wants to focus on all the negatives does not mean it suddenly cuts out the positives. There's a lot of positivity in Christianity. And uh, in fact, a lot of the great things in the world has come from Christianity. Christians have done some terrible things too, but the world would not be where it's at now uh, with a lot of the positive things of what's for Christians, including abolitionism and a lot of other things. So Indeed. before you broad brush Christianity, understand. Uh, and also, I wanted to mention this real quick. Christ literally says, not everyone who stands before me, they'll say, oh, but Lord, I did all these great things in your name. He's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Literally, Jesus even admits there's going to be a lot of people that are false teachers, that are wolves in sheep's clothing. The last people that say, I did all these things, and I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah, don't judge Christianity by people that are pretending to be Christians, taking his name in vain, going through the motions, and not being biblical. Don't, don't use them as, the, as a standard bearer for Christianity. Even if they are doing the worst things, even if they are being the loudest, even if they are getting followers, even if they are, have lots of views, that's not, that's not what we're called to follow. We're called to follow Christ. And don't judge God based on some people pretending to follow him. Right. And other people were saying, like uh, uh, David uh, at 26 Letters said, you know, well, I think there is something to say, the fact that, like, what you say you hold to, you don't live up to. It's like having a communist. Um, he's like, it's like he he compared it to the communist manifesto, and he's like, well, you then you would expect that the communist leader would agree with the communist manifesto. So it's okay to equate the two. Mm -hmm. I disagree. Okay, let me explain. It's like I think it's a category error. Somebody might say, yes, I agree with this teaching with the communist manifesto. And therefore live to it and be consistent in their teaching and their belief system. But if I were saying I was a freedom-loving libertarian, oh man, but my favorite book is the Communist Manifesto. Love that thing. You'd be like, that's a contradiction. Why do you love the Communist Manifesto? And I would be like, I just think there's so much wisdom in how to run society in it. You're like, but aren't you a libertarian? I'd go, yeah. You'd go, that's a contradiction, Will. And you'd be right. Mm -hmm. Just like me saying, if you say you're a Christian, yet you don't live up to it, and you're doing all these horrible things continually, unrepentantly, you're not living up to it. It's a category difference here. If someone's living consistently with the standard by which they set for themselves, cool, then you can say that you're being consistent. Uh, you know, if you say you're a secular humanist, you use your secular humanism and you live that consistently. But if you say you're a secular humanist, yeah, you go to church, I would be very confused because it'd be a contradiction. Uh, so anyway, or you could be my coworker who re literally said he believes everything. I don't know how you do that, but uh, <laughs> he did give me some clarification thought. But anyway, uh, point is here, guys, don't make the exception of the rule. Don't judge the entire group by one.
There's a lot of – just like there's a lot of crappy atheists, there's a lot of good atheists out there, like good people out there doing good work. Uh, they don't believe God exists, and I believe they're very wrong. But like, for example, Damien at Tall Friendly Atheist Daddy, I don't think he's a horrible human being. He's a very happy father, and he's got a strong moral compass. Of course, where did that moral compass come from? Ha, low-key troll. But, you know, there's a lot of – you know. but again, I don't judge an entire group by the one. Another great example. I'm sorry, I'm babbling, but I think it's important. Islam. We talk about the Twin Towers. We talk about the terrorist acts. But no one talks about the mother, the Muslim mother, whose son was murdered by a man, and she went up and gave him a hug and says, I forgive you. Allah says, I, commi- I, I am commanded to uh, forgive you. I, I forgive you, and I will be with you. You do not... You killed my son, so you are now brought into my life. Now I'm going to love you through this process. And she still visits him in prison. Yeah, I can't judge all of Islam based on the acts of terrorists when a woman like that exists. Yeah. Who says she's following her religious text to the letter. Yep. So anyway, point is here. Uh, of course, I would be wondering, I, I would literally wonder if preacher boys would ever extend that same grace and mercy. I'm just curious because I've seen some things where I'm like, ooh, that seems a little too far there, buddy. Don't forget to like and subscribe to The Church Split. If you're an Apple listener, leave us a five-star review. Make it spicy and fun. Uh, If you're leaving us a one-star review, you better make it spicy and fun. Uh, If you just do one star and you just submit that and you don't add any words, uh, that's very boring, and I don't get to post that. I like to post the really nasty ones and the really funny ones. Yeah. But anyway, guys, just know this. And Eric, again, we do love you. I don't. I know we've said some pretty bold things here, but it's because I think truth needs to be spoken, and I think transparency and openness is important. So uh, also, again, anyone who listens, please, please pray for Eric, and especially pray for his family, as I know this is probably a difficult time for them as well. And just know there are really good reasons to be a Christian, and you don't have to throw it out just because of a couple bad melons. So... Anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time on The Church Split. So take care and God bless.